Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, everybody, and as I will continue to do on every episode in October, I wish you a very, very happy spooky season. I hope you are still stockpiling candy. I hope that your nearest warehouse or abandoned building has turned into a spirit of Halloween store. And I hope you're getting excited for the big celebration weekend and, of course, October 31st. My boyfriend and I, of course, are still deciding what to be for Halloween We are torn between something pirate-themed, which is what my family is decorating the house as, or something Marvel-themed like Vision and Scarlet Witch, or I forget if Wonder Twins is Marvel, but something superhero-related. If you have any ideas, let us know on social media. We'd love to hear them. You may notice over the next couple of episodes, my voice is a little bit on the scratchy side. There are some thankfully good reasons for that. I am currently doing voiceover for a new animated version of Oedipus Rex, which involves some shouting and grunting and big theatrical noises. And I'm also doing pickups for Nicole Solomon and Sean Mannion's new animated short reveal, which should be coming out this Halloween season, which is very exciting. So if my voice is not As up to par as usual, I sincerely apologize and hope that you can still understand me clearly. So, with spooky season, and just with horror films in general, there are so many wonderful films and also very interesting remakes. If not, even if they're not interesting, they're fun to watch. Like, that's how I feel about the remake of Black Christmas, the 2006 remake, I should specify. But there are those one or two horror movie remakes that we in the film world try to avoid like the plague. One of them is, of course, the famed remake or infamous remake of Psycho, which was remade in 98 by an otherwise acclaimed director, Gus Van Sant, who is probably best known in general for Goodwill Hunting. And a few years before, he was also very much lauded for his film My Own Private Idaho with Keanu Reeves and the late River Phoenix. And his famous quote when doing press for this film, he was asked why he did a shot for shot, almost identical remake of Psycho. And he simply replied, So no one else had to. And it's so interesting because it makes you ask the question how these films differ so drastically in quality when they are essentially the same thing. And I thought it'd be a really, really interesting thing to kind of dive into and come up with some ideas about and really take a look at how sometimes our perception makes the film rather than the film changes our perception. So... We're going to get even more heady than usual, which I apologize for, on today's episode of Girl Presses Play, when we take a look at Alfred Hitchcock's iconic Psycho and its 1998 remake from Gus Van Sant. So I'm going to make a little executive decision here. We are not really going to go over the behind the scenes and the making of the film of the 1960s Psycho as much as we would with some other films, just because there is so much 
written about it, talked about it. It is very easy and very accessible, all of that information. And I feel like there's really nothing about the behind the scenes of the making of Psycho to really talk about that's very pertinent. I take that back. I should say it's important to note that Hitchcock produced this independently and in order to produce it independently, waived his director's fee and instead traded it in for a 60% box office stake, which ended up being very smart. But other than that, in terms of how the film was made and developed and all of that, there's so much written and made about it that y'all can just look that up for yourselves. In fact, I'm going to put some links for some very interesting tidbits about the making of Psycho in the description below. The film was produced and directed by Hitchcock and written by Joseph Stefano, and it was made for a very, very tiny budget of $800,000 plus some change, which would be like making a million dollar film these days. And it went on to make $50 million at the box office. And what I think is so interesting is how us modern audiences really don't realize how it subtly changed horror pretty much forever in 1960 when it came out. There's a really great quote from this BBC article that celebrated the 50th anniversary of the film, which said, Most of Hitchcock's peers worked in the third person, positioning their camera as a detached, neutral observer of the film's events, says author and Hitchcock historian Paul Duncan whereas Hitchcock's first-person camera allied his audiences inescapably to key characters. And I think this is really the birth of, when we think of that visceral feeling that you get when watching a horror film, when you feel like that final girl walking into the closet knowing that, knowing in the back of your mind that you're walking towards your doom. I think that very visceral experience was kind of created by Hitchcock when he made Psycho. And I think the way that he changed the film by putting us in the perspective of the villain made us maybe feel less sure about our moral higher ground. The way that if you watch the old Dracula, you know, Dracula's the bad guy, humans are the good guys. And it really kind of messed with audiences' heads a lot. I also think showing or showing in a very late 50s, early 60s appropriate way, and even just alluding to premarital sex and adultery between two adults was really shocking for some audiences. And you know, on top of all the ways that it changed horror films and changed film forever, it's also just an amazing movie. The performances are incredible. The score is, of course, iconic. And that ending scene, that one long tracking shot that I won't describe for those of you who haven't seen it, it is still chilling to this day, you know, it's it hasn't lost any of this impact. And when watching it today, it doesn't really feel old in the same way that, you know, watching Carpenter's Halloween or Titanic or Indiana Jones, they don't feel like you're watching an older movie or a movie of a bygone era. Honestly, probably the most dated thing about it is the fact that it's in black and white, which was actually done for budgetary reasons. I don't know, Psycho is just one of those behemoths of a movie, kind of like The Godfather, I feel like, where it's just really hard to encapsulate in its entirety what makes this film so great and what makes this film so important. Of course, I've suggested it myself, but I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes 
a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Now, I'm going to start this segment of the episode with a little bit of positivity here. Even though this film is pretty universally panned, and I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of it myself, there are one or two bright spots in it. I'm going to say that Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche's performance are very, very good. The entire cast is great, but theirs just stood out to me. Danny Elfman's reimagining of the score is pretty solid. And even though it is pretty much a direct recreation of the original score, you can hear some Elfmanisms in there. And even though, or because it's a shot-for-shot remake of the original, the shots are nice and well-composed. So on to the famous quote from Gus Van Sant, so no one else would have to. This film carries with it the baggage of being the remake of a masterpiece, and it was somehow supposed to satisfy audiences who absolutely love the original, but also somehow surpass said masterpiece. And on top of that, the director that was hired with all due respect to Gus Van Sant is inspired by the films of Werner Herzog and Chantel Ackerman, which are all about very still kind of cinema verite musings on life, and that doesn't exactly align with Hitchcock's very classic studio system style. I think a good modern day equivalent would be asking either Robert Eggers or Melina Mansukas, who are both independent film directors with very clear, distinct cinematic styles, to remake Casablanca and somehow make it better than the original. It's a very, to me, it's a very damned if you do, damned if you don't situation here. So perhaps Van Sant was just trying to make the best of it. And I think another thing to consider is the way that people inevitably watch this film, in that they don't watch it and perceive it for its own merits. It's through the filter of being the remake of Psycho. So the film, it almost seems to want to confront preconceived notions about what makes a film great or not great, which was probably way too much for the audience to realize the director was doing. Because to be fair, you don't go and watch a movie or even a remake of a movie with this kind of meta, oh, we're going to compare it to the original and see what it does and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you do that a little bit with a novel because reading a novel is a very personal experience. But with a movie, I think there is a little bit more of taking the film, even the remake, on its own. And people just didn't want to seem to do that here. This actually reminds me a little bit of an episode of The Celluloid Mirror where Sean and Nicole are talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I remember watching it for the first time thinking, oh, it's actually not that bad in terms of blood and gore. But because it's subtly dealing with something that a lot of us do every day, eating meat and where your meat comes from and things like that, people actually remember it as a lot more bloody than it actually is, which I think is really interesting because in some ways that film is kind of dealing with preconceived notions about where our meat is coming from, or I think more accurately, our lack of knowledge of where our meat comes from. And returning one more time to that famous quote, so no one else would have to. You know, this is coming from a filmmaker that is burdened with something they made really not 
being their own and will never be their own or seen on its own in a very real way. It's less of a movie and more of an experiment in what happens when you experiment in art rather than create. And I think especially in this case, what happens when you recreate in art rather than just create something from the ground up. It kind of makes me think of Andy Warhol paintings, how I should preface, I'm not the biggest Andy Warhol fan. I have respect for him and all of that, but I don't really like him as an artist. But this film kind of reminds me of the famous Campbell's Soup painting, where it's technically just a recreation of an object, but you're not really supposed to perceive it, perceive the art itself, the painting of the Campbell's Soup. It's rather you're supposed to think about the subject of the painting put into a different context, which is the medium of art. So long story short, I think this film can and should be revisited as more of a very philosophical experiment on what makes films good and what makes films not good. And I think that people are starting to get behind that a little bit more, which I'm happy about because I like Gus Van Sant. And I feel bad he felt so burdened with this film. So I'm glad that people are trying to find a way to give it some credit. One filmmaker that's giving it some credit is horror director Ty West, who talked about the film Psycho in an interview with Trailer Hell, which we have a clip of right here, right now. But what I, well, the reason I'm so compelled to think that this movie is a art project is because, you know, up until this movie, all the movies Gus Van Sant had made have been these very totally unique filmmaker-driven essentially art films. And he's obviously very intelligent, he's obviously very articulate about what he does, and he's obviously a very interesting visual craftsman. So why would he make a shot-for-shot -shot remake of Psycho? It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't add up that he would think that that was a good idea. So that I can only come to the conclusion that the reason he did it was to see if copying something that's apparently amazing to the majority of people, copying it identically, does it stay amazing? And I think the answer is no, and I think that's a very poignant comment to make. I don't know if that's what the studio wanted when they were remaking Psycho. I think they just wanted people to go see Psycho, and I think that he went on and made a sort of art project out of it. Maybe I'm just making this up in my head, but either way, for me, it's totally satisfying and brilliant. And I think it's really interesting to watch a movie that is such a classic and see it remade identically and have these conflicted feelings about it. I just think it's a really interesting critique on cinema and a critique on filmmaking. There's no real way to watch a film in a vacuum. There's always going to be something from your past, from what happened that day, from other movies you watched. There's always going to be something influencing the way you watch a film. And I think that watching the original Psycho and the remake of Psycho is a very, very good example of that. And I think there is a way to keep a check on how you're watching a movie. So I propose a little experiment for you. Next time you watch a movie, write down everything that happened to you that day or even that week if you're a little ambitious. And maybe even write down like the five most important things that have happened in your life. Then write down why you did or didn't like the movie and you may be surprised to find how much your life and your experiences have influenced why you didn't you did or didn't like the movie. Or if you're not a huge fan of writing things down, I would say do this with a friend and see how your opinions differ based on your life experiences. You may find this to be somewhat educational and very entertaining.
As always, thank you so very, very much for listening. I always love talking film, and especially this time of year, I love talking horror film and having you guys listen and formulate your own opinions on it is always wonderful. We would always love to hear your opinions on our episodes, both past and present, on our social media pages, which is at Girl Presses Play for Instagram and Twitter, and Girl Presses Play Podcast on Facebook. Tune in next week when... For the first time in a while, we have some guests, which is very exciting to talk about another spooky season classic. Until then, stay safe, stay spooky, and keep watching movies. See you next time. They know know I can't can't even move a finger. finger. They're probably probably watching watching me. me. Well, let let them 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 see see what kind of a person I am. I'm not not even going to sweat. I hope they they are watching. watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Ferriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl, press this play.